Into the Zeitgeist, the comedic research podcast, is funded by you. Thank you. If you want to learn how to support the show, go to patreon.com slash WDM1. Hello and hi. Welcome to Into the Zeitgeist. My name is David Waters, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Shannon the Hunter Boffman. <laughs> did you like that one? I did. It's funny because uh, my real middle name is Danger. Oh. <laughs> I was ready for you to tell me what your name was. <laughs> I've had a conversation with um, Jeff on the movie podcast. Uh, Jeff Hernandez, you know him, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we were talking about his middle name, Michael, uh-huh. and, and how I always fuck up the flip of the A and the E. Oh, I do that, too. It fucks me up. Me, too. Yeah. Well, anyways, for the uninitiated, Into the Zeitgeist is our bi-weekly comedic research podcast where we explore touchstones of the past and drag them back up to be talked about and shit. I think, uh, yeah, if you want to support Into the Zeitgeist, get it early by going to patreon.com slash WDM1. That's where our other podcasts live, the You Haven't Seen That Movie podcast that I just mentioned, and D&D 1 versus 1. Um, Shannon, oh my gosh, now I'm out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of talking. Uh, I know, I know. Well, uh, I'm going to let you take it over, because this week, Purging Our Sins, it's uh, your week. Yeah. So. I have a lot of sins and I almost want to start off by saying like, I feel kind of nervous right now. I've really been excited to talk about our topic today and I feel like I'm just the anticipation of it all is like building up into me. Uh Um, Release. You gotta purge those sins. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe I'll be in the right headspace. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to be in the right headspace. Okay, so maybe I should just say, so today we're talking about um, Richard Connell's The Most Dangerous Game. Um, it's a short story from 1924. I know I had to read it in school. Did you have to read it in school? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I think I... What grade? Do you remember? I read it my freshman year of high school. Uh, I think I maybe read it my 10th. Maybe my sophomore year of high school. Nice. Maybe. I can't remember. It was even, maybe even in middle school, like seventh, eighth grade. I, you know, I can't exactly remember. Yeah. Because it's been that long. Yeah. It's funny, though. Now that you say that, that kind of actually brings me to my first sin. Oh, okay. With this short story. So I read the story my freshman year and our teacher was Coach Baggett and he was like, he was the coolest. Um, Did you have him? No, never. He was great. He was also a coach, obviously. And Classic Texas. Taught English, which was cool because you didn't see very many of the men coaches teaching English, I feel like. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um. But so we read The Most Dangerous Game and he was always coming up with these creative assignments for us to do. And I remember for The Most Dangerous Game, our assignment was to recreate a scene from the short story. Oh, okay, okay. And so you had to like make it lifelike. And so uh, I remember I was partnered with my friend Jesse and we 
shows. Can I pause you for a second? I just want to say I'm really excited to hear the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> we chose a scene, and David and I will talk more about the summary of the story in just a minute, but we chose a scene where... Um, one of the main characters is getting chased by dogs. Right. And so um, I was a freshman in high school. So that's like, what, 14, 15? Yeah. Well, I totally did that thing, though, when you're like a little kid and you like forget to tell your mom, like you need a glue for your project. And it's like oh, no. eight o'clock at night or whatever. And so like our project was ready, except for the dogs. Oh, OK. Wait, <laughs> was that your part? Well, no, I mean, I helped with everything. Oh, I mean, okay. maybe so. Maybe that was like a like one part of my part. Mm-hmm. And so I totally go to my mom and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm so sorry. And so my mom drove me to the dollar store <laughs> and we're like looking around for anything that's like dogs. And like, you know, we're even looking at those like zoo animal things to see if there's anything like a dog you know those like packages of like zoo animal toys oh oh i see see. yeah 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 and so large was this display of this lifelike it was a little bit bigger than a diorama okay okay so those those would be acceptable right 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 um and so all we end up finding are these dogs that are like they're small but they're still disproportional to our set in that they're large and they're like for little girls and they're like poly pockets or something so i think they were like they have purple ears and like Mm -hmm. pink ears like my little pony son yeah and they had like bobbleheads can't go wrong most vicious dogs (laughs) but we use them and i remember our teacher thinking it was actually pretty funny um too so that is sin. Oh, that is fun. number one. Jeez, that's that's a good story. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's even like mentioning like high school, you know, teachers or whatever, and them like doing that creative stuff. Yeah, I had my senior year of high school. I had Miss Edland I right class like so vividly. Me too. I, not that like it was one of those classes where you know a lot of you know shit could be going on with like your friends and shit like in class, but in that class in particular, I was like fuck that like it just always chose like really good books like yeah <laughs> i remember that's when i, I read dante's inferno beowulf great gatsby i read in there too but that's what she was like going deep into like the themes too and so i'm glad we're doing a book finally or sh- a short story excuse me because i love books i love those like short snippets though it's hard for me to like i may need to like reread it again yeah. actually whenever um we decided to do this episode whenever i was delivering pizza over the weekend i just listened to it nice audio book and i was just like hell yeah i forgot how much i fucking love this book but i i feel like i have to purge a mini sin here because like back in school i was really bad about not reading <laughs> it, and i would always go to spark notes or whatever i would read as much as i could but eventually the time came so to speak and yeah Boom, mini sun. <laughs> nice. Um, when you were in Edlands, did you ever read the short story The Rocking Horse Winner? Um, possibly. We read a lot. Remind me what it is. Mm, it's kind of about this boy like discovering himself for the first time. Was it winter in the book? 
I believe so. Oh my god, yes. So <laughs> I, I have a blue cover. I don't know. Like I don't. This is like the like hardback short story that I'm thinking of. Um, I just remember that. Was there a rowing team involved? Was he in England? No, I think okay. I know what you're talking about, though. Okay. Where the boy falls out of the tree and breaks his arm. Yes, yeah, so, like, <laughs> I don't know what he, like, that's fall called. Fall down some stairs. Or yeah, something? I think okay. so. Yeah, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I can't. I think about that, like whatever that was, a lot, and I can't for the life of me remember what it's called. Audience, if you know this, I feel like you're obliged to Mary J. Obliged <laughs> to, to tell us, anyways. Um, but Good there. Stuff. Anyways, so the reason I asked you about the Rocking Horse winner is because I read that in Edlands and I actually did a project about it in grad school. And that kind of brings me to my next sin for this episode, which so in that class, it was a research methods class. And so we basically had to collect different editions of a story and then kind of make our own edition out of it. Oh, I see. Um, And so when you are talking about literature, a lot of people will say that it's very important to have like a source text to know the edition, Mm -hmm. the publisher, blah, 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 all the details, because there are certain books where the edition changes the context and the overall, you know. Example, Bible. There you go. Good example. Boom. Done. Um, And so I will say for the most dangerous game, I don't really have a source text. We do have a link to one of the ones I looked at in the show notes. I did look at a few different ones online and they're all pretty much the same. Just, 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 what am I saying? Has the same, just, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I get what you were saying. So I just wanted to put that out there as like, don't come for me. (laughs) Don't come for me. Yeah, don't, don't. Um, and, So then before we jump into everything, we'll get to my last sin and final one. It's another literal purge because I love the purge and I love the purge series and I'm probably going to talk about it way too much today. So this is me just getting that out of the way to begin with. I think it was yesterday that you texted me and you were like, have you you seen the purge? Yeah. I mean, it's only appropriate to ask right now whenever people reach out. Anyways, do you remember watching it with me? I said that I possibly watched it with I, you. I, once you said that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure we because saw it together. we used to go to the movies a lot. We, yeah. Uh, in the Borat episode I mentioned whenever we went to go see Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> Good time. And I think that was the first Purge movie. It, was, it came around the, that That sounds time. right. Yeah. And we would also see scary movies together a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we used to go to the Angelica and watch yeah. over in Frisco. We saw Goodnight Mommy there. Oh, um, that movie. Yeah. So, yeah. So, at the time that we're recording this, um, July 4th was yesterday. The new Happy per- July 4th. Yeah. Even though it's probably October, November. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. Freedom. Yay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's a clip. <laughs> so, the new Purge movie or the latest Purge movie just came out. It's called The Forever Purge. I just saw it yesterday and it really just got my mind thinking about um, the most dangerous game. I feel like that to ask you, is it a good movie, bad movie? So if you like the Purge series, you'll Mm -hmm. like it. Okay. But I told Daniel, like, that is not 
the movie I'd introduced someone to the series with. Like, oh, okay. okay. I liked it a lot. Um, I thought it really added to the message that the old that the Purge series has been going with. Um, right. And I think we're going to see a lot of those th- same themes come out as we talk about the most dangerous game. And so I just wanted to get that out of the way that if you hear the purge talked about a whole lot, sorry in advance. Mm-hmm. The end. A pre, a pre, <laughs> pre-sin purge. <laughs> pre-sin <laughs> purge. Cool. Well, okay. That's cool. Uh, do you think that we should talk about the plot a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about the plot. So to back up a little bit, The Most Dangerous Game, it was also originally published as The Hounds of Zaroff. Oh, and I read why they didn't go with that name, but I... Oh, I think I want to say that someone argued that they didn't go with that name because it was, like, too animalistic. Like, the point right. that we'll get to... It was to, to be subtle. Right, 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 right. Ah, I see, I see. That's cool. Um... And so it was a short story first published in Collier's Magazine on January 19th, 1924. Um, Some website I said, uh, or some website that I read said that you could compare that to reading like a story in the New Yorker today. Oh, I see. Um, but so yeah, so to um, reminisce, reminiscing, rewind, yes. let's take a look back on the story, David. Um, do you just kind of want to shoot off like what you remember first? Yeah, uh, well, you know, the story basically starts on this boat with uh, Rainsford. Do you remember, do you know his last name? It's Sanger Rainsford. Sanger Rainsford. I remember because he's always addressed <laughs> as Rainsford. Right. So it's like him and his friend. Whitney. Whitney, right. I I love Rainsford as a name, uh, generally. So (laughs) it is a good name. Uh, But like, I I remember, you know, it starts out on the boat. This dude falls over. Um, Well, I'm sure we'll get into what they talk about um, later on. But he washes up on a shore of this island. Kind of, (laughs) it's uh, very ominous, you know, like when you're reading it. But. I guess just to get the like to the me, uh, you know, he's taken in by these two, um, sees this nicely dressed man and then this like deaf mute um, dude and takes him up to his castle. It's like well fed, you know, we're Gucci, you know, living good. Uh, but then like it changes and he's like, you know, we'll also get into the content, I'm sure, of what they said, but um, overarching, most dangerous game. I got to I got to pause here and say that I whenever you were talking about the titles, I was thinking, I was like, I don't think I would have liked the story as much if it was named the hounds of Zarov. And so, cause I love like, um, um, it's always been in the back of my mind, this book, um, like ever since I read it back in school, uh, yeah. just cause it was a great, it's a great short story. Um, I think, I think the, the kicker at the end, like whenever time jumps or whatever is great. Yeah. Um, uh, but he basically gets hunted by this general and, and you know, Shit ensues. I think that's a, a nice encapsulation. Yeah, and um, so I think something to mention is um, Rainsford is like a very skilled hunter of animals. Mm-hmm. So he's really well known and for hunting certain prey in different parts of the world. And I think we're going to get into the specifics of that later on. Um, but because he's so well-traveled, he's also learned how to create... Um, certain types of traps that he's learned from different cultures 
And he sets those traps up to kind of slow General Zaroff down. And the only reason we've even been talking about dogs or hounds is because these traps seemingly work. And Zaroff, um, you know, in order to try to not be defeated, he sends his dogs after Rainsford. Um, and that is kind of where I would argue that's the climax of the story. Yeah, I think um, so. Rainsford has to decide if he wants to try to fight the hounds or jump off a cliff. Um, it's funny because at the beginning of the story, it is mentioned quite a bit that Rainsford is a strong swimmer. Um, <laughs> and then every time he falls in the water, he's like swimming like a bitch. Yeah, so it's like... Um, I mean, I guess it's fair that General Zaroff has had, like, these people who weren't as experienced. So I guess it's fair for him to expect for Rainsford to meet the same fate. But that's ultimately how he survives. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of when we get to the twists at the end where he, um, you mentioned the time jump. He shows up in Zaroff's room um, and I guess he kills him. Yeah, they have. Uh, he So he. Well, after he sets all the traps, he jumps off this cliff. Uh, seemingly, like General Zaroff thinks that Rainsford is dead after you know taking that high of a jump off of a cliff like that, and um, turns out like he, you know, we time jump. He's in bed. He's like Zaroff's resting or whatever, and like fucking Rainsford pops through the window, and he's like, "All right." I'm here. Let's fucking do this. Most, <laughs> most dangerous game, bitch. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, they were like, um, okay. They were like, uh, it was the loser will be fed to the hounds and the winner will sleep in this bed. And it time jumps again to him as, uh, Rainsford laying in his bed, sleeping in General Zaroff's bed. So implied exactly. that definitely won that bitch. <laughs> so David, I want to ask you while we're still kind of doing our reminiscing, um, when you, do you re- kind of remember when you first read the story what you took away from it? Um, other than that, it was a really good story, and that I, you know, I didn't know as much about history uh, that time period of history back then, but I I noticed the like dichotomy between Rainsford, like ideologically uh, between Rainsford and Zaroff. Um, I knew that there was, you know, and we, like I said earlier, like in classes, those in English class, I always really enjoyed English class because they went into the themes and the battling ideologies and shit like that. In this uh, book in particular, I think it's at the forefront because it's literally man versus man, ideology versus ideology. So, right. Um, Yeah, I think that's awesome that you got all of that when you first read it because I definitely didn't oh yeah i remember so like i said i would have been 14 or 15 and i remember finishing it and just kind of being like what the hell (laughs) like (laughs) it was a little confusing i you know i wasn't the best reader so well not even just confused but just like why like it was just that as like the concept of yeah oh okay yeah like well not the concept it's Self, but like, why was he hunting? Like, why? And I think maybe part of that is knowing some of the history behind it. But even then, I think we'll see as we talk about more in other media that's was inspired by the most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. I feel like that question of why just comes up over and over and over again. Okay, all right, you- I, can, I can run with that definitely. Um, I can. 
I guess I need examples. Oh, um, so I mean, I can definitely talk about this more when we get into the media, but I will say I um, also watched the movie um, The Hunt, and we're going to talk about this Ice Tea movie that David kept talking about yes, throughout I, I our research. It, like once before, it's a good. It's Ice Tea, um, and I think it's called Oh Lordy for the life of me. I'll look that up while while you continue. Sure, but um, so I mean, even with the purge, though, like. I kind of have a why. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, but even then, and that's part of why I think The Purge is so connected to this story is because, like, that... So The Purge is, if you don't know that movie or show or mm-hmm. whichever form of media of The Purge, you are interested, could be interested in whatever. I'm talking too much. Um, so The Purge uh, is on one night a year. I think it's in April. All crime is legal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the ideology behind that, or like the thought behind that is that it's going to wipe out crime. I mean, it does to a degree. Uh, it definitely gets progressively worse going on with the movies, but uh, yeah, and um, thinking that crime will dissipate throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, and as someone who is a very big fan of the Purge universe, I will say a lot of that gets more developed in this series. Which, as of the time we're recording, you can watch all on Hulu. If you like the most dangerous game, I have a good feeling you'll like that series. Nice. Um, but so with the Purge series. You have the one night a year. So that semi answers the why, but at the same time, and I don't know if this is just because who I am as a person, I still have the why of like, why is murder your answer? What is that Mm going to do for you? I see. I see. I guess some other people, I'm just thinking of like others, like being devil, devil's advocate, almost literally in the sense like, but why not have that release? Why not kill people? That's fair. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, just another. <laughs> I'm being devil's advocate. This is not what I think, but yeah. Well, I mean, why not kill people though? Because it's like more well, as a release to. Well, I mean, not crazier chill. people than you and me, Shannon, in this world. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, at first I was like, yeah, I'm with you, but then I'm like, wait, there's a lot of reasons you shouldn't hunt people. <laughs> oh, totally, totally agreed. <laughs> anyways. But anyways, that is fair. That's a fair thought. So anyways, I just kind of wanted to think about what we remembered because I will say that I do think now having researched it and kind of going into the meat of what we're talking about today, I I think that I do kind of have some answers for the whys now. And so we can kind of get into it. The so most dangerous game, um, Richard, Richard Connell was the winner of the prestigious O. Henry Award for short fiction for it in 1924. I believe that was the same year it was published. Um, and it, that this short story, it's only one of Connell's 300 plus stories that's that are still in print today. You know, looking at the date 1924, that makes me very curious because that's before World War II and before the. I guess, well, I guess it's, you know, they're putting it in context of, because he, Richard O'Connell, I guess, um, you know, I was looking into it. Well, he was, he had fled Russia because uh, the Bolsheviks got executed or whatever, right? right? I, like I said before, I didn't know much about the history there. Um, but it's, I'm funny, it's funny because a lot of people, whenever they read it, they think of like, 
cold war era like america or capitalism versus yeah communism yeah so it's like <clears throat> it's funny that it can stretch you know yeah definitely literally centuries so almost two centuries at this point we're getting close <laughs> to it oh no yeah that's that's actually a really good point um i'm glad you brought that up because that was something i i've I truly have not stopped thinking about the short story for the past week, but especially this weekend. It's just been on my mind all weekend with the new purge and yeah, just watching that. thinking about all of that. Um, but yeah, just how relevant this content still is today. But kind of like our shows into the zeitgeist, I feel like the most dangerous game has kind of brought other forms of media that have been inspired by it and oh, the yeah. zeitgeist totally. so totally yeah yeah there's i've you know when you mentioned that i'm like i'm thinking because you mentioned the purge i you know we'll get into actually um should i should i get into it the uh surviving the game the one with iced tea oh yeah sure go for it yeah, no it was just like iced tea is this um he's a homeless man and then uh, you know i I've only ever watched it once and it was years ago, but I remember that this like huntsman, this like really well off huntsman sees him and he's like, Hey, I want to hire you. And like puts on the guys that kind of Zara off did um, mm. and takes him up to like the woods somewhere. It was like close to a national forest or something. And um, literally does the exact same thing with me, but I don't remember if it, in the book, I know that it's like, he gives him a knife, three hours head start and something else. Um, uh-huh. Maybe like something for fire. Uh, you know, I, cu- I couldn't say. I'd have to look, but um, I mean, it was pretty much the same. I think like he gave him like a like three days head start. Oh, okay. Because he, he's like a, a tr- the hunter or the well-off hunter is like a, tra- a known tracker or whatever. Gotcha. Um, so he like gave him three days head start, and he like eventually tracks him down. And uh, Ice Ice T is like trying to survive, and then like, I just remember the <laughs> end of the movie. It was like really crazy because. Ice T like ran a ATV into a tree, um, and it like fell down the tree, and uh, he like drove across it, and it was like the wildest thing to get away from this hunter. And I was just like, this is odd. I mean, I think in the end he does kill the hunter, uh, just as as it happens in the book. But that's so <laughs> it's funny. A good movie. It's, it's, it's so... definitely nineties. It says nineteen ninety four. And what's it called? It came, uh, surviving the game. Surviving the game. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's just so funny because it's like. I see, and I know you said he was like a houseless person, but I just associate Ice T with his SVU character. So I'm just picturing Ice T in like his leather jacket and like his hair slicked back, oh, running through the woods. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's fun. So. Um, but so, anyways, to kind of bring it back to the most dangerous game, um, so Connell's short story career definitely peaked with the most dangerous game, um, but he also kind of dabbled in other areas. He went on to write screenplays, and he actually won an Academy Award for um, his movie Meet John Doe in 1941. And I thought the plot to this was interesting. It's about a reporter who writes a fictitious column about someone named John Doe, who is distraught at America's neglect of the little people and plans to kill himself. So I just thought that was interesting in relation to the idea of the most dangerous game, the media inspired by it. And it kind of sounds like it has some close connections to Meet John Doe as well. 
Um, hmm. Interesting. Wait, is that a movie? Me, John Doe? Yes, that's a movie that he wrote. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Didn't it get like remade like when we were in high school or something? I'm like thinking of some type of... Oh, no, I'm thinking of John Tucker Must Die. Oh. <laughs> I've never seen that, but I remember people talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I I think The Most Dangerous Game itself, it was also a movie. Oh, yeah, I might okay. talk about that here in a little bit again. And then um, it's also, um, I think, recently a TV show as well. I think I saw Christoph Waltz might be in it. Oh. I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch it. I remember. I remember seeing that whenever I was looking into this stuff a couple days prior yeah i remember seeing that trailer but i didn't like i watched like a little bit just as you did but i was like man i think it was like amazon prime or something i was just like okay whatever that's funny so in the most dangerous game richard connell you can tell he wants us to question the very idea of civilization and what it means to be a civilized human um in contrast, we see General Zaroff, and he may have sophisticated conversations, wear formal London-tailored evening clothes, and even speak three languages. But he also hunts down other human beings, like animals. So it's like, yikes. But yeah. like you said, that's kind of the initial dichotomy that we see. Yeah, I was about to say that I remember... Um what was it him just being very almost uh very stand-up-ish as uh rainsford but then um you know he goes on he was like he pontificates a lot whenever he takes rainsford back up to the uh, like his mansion or whatever and kind of spills the bean towards the end but right. um it's just saying that like uh animals have, have um definitely lost my lost my you know i guess i can't remember the exact verbiage he used but he says it like pretty much doesn't put up a challenge for him right exactly that's why he hunts humans that's his reasoning behind it and and then he boasts about not losing any any so far yeah and so another thing that general zaroff it says that he claims that he doesn't hunt other civilized beings he hunts the quote Castoffs of the world, as he calls them. Um, sailors from tramp ships, Lazars, blacks, Chinese, whites, mongrels. Um, and he goes on to say a thoroughbred horse or hound is worth more than a score of them. Um, which is kind of awful. Oh, totally. Um, I think too, it it's weird. The sort of his inclination to put like People an expensive boxes. animal above like a human being is just that blows my mind in a way hmm. like or at least an animal that he would seemingly not have a connection to you know like we all love our pets but you right. know what i mean it's just like kind of like a light switch moment in his brain i guess yeah um and to kind of stick with this idea of like the animalistic sort of setting of the story. Um, sorry, what am I trying to say? It's like not even just the setting, but um, it's a very nature-driven story. Like there's nature elements that um, Connell uses and describes that really make the story come to life that you wouldn't have if it wasn't set 
outdoors and nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm, definitely. There's a lot of different environments. Like, like with the, he was on the ship and he has to swim. And I feel like that beginning part of the book, whenever he's swimming up to, had a lot of symbolism. And oh, sweet Jesus. Yeah. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about those symbols. But um, there's just so much um, criticism and research and... Um, commentary on this story that I just kind of wanted to talk about the nature because I read a couple different articles that talked about eco-criticism in the most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so according to Cheryl Glofelty, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, um, eco-criticism is the study of the relationship between literature and the physical environment. Um, eco-criticism takes an earth-centered approach to literary studies. I just thought it was really interesting to think about how you could apply that type of criticism to the story. Yeah. Um, and just kind of wanted to briefly mention that it's not super exciting to me, um, but yeah, it is to some scholars. So if that's something that interests you, hey, go explore another, it. Another point of view. <laughs> I love it. Yes, a way of seeing is also a, a way of not seeing, David. I, I, it's funny. <laughs> I listened to that exact clip the other day when I was editing. I was like, I love it. We said that in the Amanda Show episode. And yeah. That's why it was recent because we just we just launched the show. That was fun. Um. So there's a lot of themes I think in this book, but just to kind of quickly run through some of the main ones. Um, there's the theme of competition. You see the theme of violence. There's the theme of perseverance, the theme of strength, strength and skill, man in the natural world, and then the theme of fear. Um, what do you think about those, David? Uh, yeah, no. Um, I feel like I kind of want to jump back to what I was talking about earlier with like whenever he was swimming up to the island because like. He talks about, like, he is a great swimmer, and he talks about, you know, just, like, being very efficient with what he does, like, trying to get, he does, he does bitch about it a lot. (laughs) Um, like, he would go off on these, he would mention, he would talk about how crazy the waves are, and then, um, he would go off and he would pontificate, like, with himself about, like, the, the waves, I don't know, he uses some type of, um, uh, forgive me, I'm not thinking of the, of the exact verbiage right off the top of my head, but I just remember him, like, drawing a parallel with everything that was, like, the... I think there's a moment he knows that before he... Whenever they were riding up on this yacht or whatever the fuck, they yeah. were on boat, and um, they look over this island. This island's known as, like, Shipwreck Island. Right. And or I Ship think Trap it, Island. Ship Trap Island or something like that. It's notorious for just sinking ships yeah. or whatever. And, um, it's like, I think I remember him saying, like, of all places, like, I, like, wash up here and, and something like that. So, um, yeah, no, I, I remember that. And then, you know, I'm looking at Perseverance here and... You know, uh, though he's like Rainsford is thrust into the situation and he's like doesn't kind of have a choice in the situation. He kind of utilizes what he has to eventually outsmart Azara. So um, I see that as well. Like, you know, if uh, it's like fight or flight, I'm thinking, you know, like, uh, or wait, no, I think there's a third one now. It's fight, flight, or freeze. Right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the t- 
tenacity, I guess, of the human spirit. Like whenever you're put into situations like that, it's either, you know, with Rainsford in particular, it's definitely fight. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. he's not going to, he's not going to, you know, go without a fight, I guess I would say. Yeah. And I think, um, it's interesting because we did just briefly talk about eco-criticism and to think of the ocean and how it is sort of, you know, it's almost like a duality with Rainsford. Like it saves him when he arrives and then it saves him when he drops, jumps off the cliff. Um, and Connell also works in a lot of symbolism. Um, he uses blood. I think he describes the ocean as like blood or something and redness. And so you get that sort of tone of fear and you, the anticipation of violence just through his imagery. Um, it looked like any moment, like, especially during that, um, dinner or dinner scene like you you could think like zara would snap at any moment sure yeah and and that is just what's so brilliant about it's his writing but um it is kind of interesting to think how eco-criticism could go hand in hand with that and just the idea that when you are thinking about these stories even when you're thinking about the media inspired by them um surviving the game that you were just talking about the purge um those people's environments often also play a pretty huge role in the outcomes. Um, and so it's interesting to think and actually kind of have a lens of looking at a story like yeah, I'm thinking with of that hung- factor. I'm thinking of Hunger Games. Sure, yeah. Right now. Um, like, you know, just the way that I guess the world is set up with that one. You exactly. Know, it leads to like a revolution, you know. Exactly. That's a really good point. The Hunger Games is another one, um, I think, definitely influenced by this. Um, And this is kind of where we're going anyways, because there is this iconic theme of the hunter who becomes the hunted. And it has served as inspiration for a number of movies, big budget, small budget, countless TV shows, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, sci-fi shows, Lost in Space, Star Trek, and even comedies such as Gilligan's Island, The Simpsons. Um, Oh, yeah, it's everywhere. Even though, like, the original tale has always been, like, viewed as this well-done action-adventure story, there's this element of escapist entertainment to it that... I think that's part of what gives that kind of media its appeal. It's like with me, the purge is so far fetched that it is like I can escape into it and like feel it, right, but then rather than exactly know, for you, you exactly know, that's you can get away from it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so we already kind of talked about some of those things. Um, we talked about the hunt. We talked about um, surviving the game, the Hunger Games, the Purge. Um, another one I want to throw out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a movie and it's also a series. Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, the one with the train? Yeah. Yeah. I think. It goes around the world and it's cold. Yeah. And then there's a revolution mm-hmm. and there's class divides. I think that also. Um, cars, yeah. Chris Evan, Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because it doesn't have to be horror. I mean, I guess you could argue that the Hunger Games isn't horror, but I probably wouldn't buy into your argument. But. <laughs> um, Me either. There's there's different ways of thinking about the story that don't necessarily 
have to just be um, political. Well, no, that's wrong. I don't know. They don't have to be horror. (laughs) With the purge, I mean, it gets political. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to say that. It's all political. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but I. That actually um, brings us to a really good point. I wanted to talk about this because um, there's a lot of background in these stories that happens. But um, before we go into that, I just want to read a passage from it because it one I think ties the media all together and um, I just like it. So we're going to read it. Um, So this is after Rainsford has arrived to General Zaroff's and they are sitting down to eat. Yes. They were eating borscht, the rich red soup with whipped cream so dear to Russian palates. Half apologetically, General Zaroff said, we do our best to preserve the amenities of civilization here. Please forgive any lapses. We are well off the beaten track, you know. Do you think the champagne has suffered from its long ocean trip? Not in the least, declared Rainsford. He was finding the general a most thoughtful and affable host. A true cosmopolite. Cosmopolite. I don't know. Cosmopolitan? No, there's no end, but that's okay. Cosmopolite. There we go. But (laughs) there was one small trait of the general's that made Rainsford uncomfortable. Whenever he looked up from his plate, he found the general studying him, appraising him narrowly. Perhaps, said General Zaroff, you were surprised to see that I recognized your name. You see, I read all books on hunting, published in English, French, and Russian. I have but one passion in my life, Mr. Rainsford, and it is the hunt. The hunt. The hunt. Oh, Lord. Right when you said the hunt, I was thinking of, like, uh, you know, ever, like, old old British people, old British people, like, I don't know when it was. I'm sure it was a long time, but, like, we'll get on the horses and take the hounds out, and one dude will have a fucking trumpet, and they look like they're dressing <laughs> up for, like, polo or something, you know? <laughs> uh, oh, anyways, sorry. funny. <laughs> I just... a famous painting of, like, the jumping over oh yeah they don't have i think they they don't have valets i was just thinking of polo (laughs) (laughs) on horseback or whatever the fuck oh that's Um, funny yeah but yeah so that passage really kind of like i think introduces what's about to be the divide between zaroff and rainsford and just how he calls it the hunt um it's just that it has a tone. It has a. I know he makes it sound like it's an. It's an. I mean, it. A lot of people do treat it as an event whenever they do go hunting. Right, that's a great um, way to put it. And I mean, especially like my my uh, my dad's side's from Louisiana, and I feel like every time as a child going visiting them, um, you know, it'd be a big thing. You know, yeah, I've seen a deer gutted right in front of me. It's not the most cool thing ever it's yeah. actually probably pretty far from it but uh nonetheless uh they did like they'll take the fucking um uh what was it called uh you know an rv out there and they have like a plot or whatever it's kind of like 
you go visit your, you know, family for a weekend. You go park in an right. RV park or whatever the fuck. And, um, you know, I was out in like northern Louisiana, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a really great point. I really hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. They look at it as like an event, something to be, you know, sought after, like celebrated in a way. Um, and yeah, um, in the media, I think influenced by it kind of, you see that as well. Like the Hungry Games, you see them celebrate the nominees or whatever that go yeah. in, tributes. Mm-hmm. Um, the Purge, you see them celebrate, whether they're outdoors or indoors, you see that. And um, the hunt in particular um, was very heavily influenced by the short story. So you actually see some of the um, traps that happen, some of the almost even the language I feel like um comes through and so that movie also you is a really good one to watch if you're interested in this who's that with so the main character is Hilary Swank but she doesn't really come into the movie until the end um but basically it's like all these rich people gather to hunt all of these like um right-wing conspiracy theorists people and um it's like a satirical film so it's like these liberal elites are hunting these right-wing like conspiracy (laughs) people um and there's you know what i was just thinking of i don't remember the name of the movie right off the top of my head but it came out not too long ago uh with it I guess the these two got married. Ready or um, not? Yes, ready or not. With, <laughs> she gets married, yep. and they're like the family's like, okay, you got married, but we get to hunt you now. And I was like, okay, okay, what the fuck? Um, I just yes. that popped into my mind whenever you're talking about that. I almost rewatched that one too, but I didn't because I don't necessarily know that it fits because I don't think it has the class divides that these other ones do. Well, I think that she had (sighs) felt, I got that because uh, she had felt that she, uh, I don't remember if it was like, but she came from lower, lower class or that she was just not accepted by the family. You know, you know, I don't, whatever you meet, it can go either way with the in-laws. So, you know, yeah, I do love that movie though. So if you're into the genre, I would definitely check that out as well. Um, so to kind of back up and I think give a little bit more context to the story, we're gonna talk about um a little bit of the timeline here. So the story itself takes place around the time of the Russian Revolution, as Zarov tells Rainsford in the story. After the debacle in Russia, I left the country, for it was imprudent for an officer of the czar to stay there. Um, and so here he's referring to the overthrow of the aristocracy, the aristocracy by the Bolsheviks and the birth of the Soviet Union with leaders such as Stalin. Hmm. Yeah, that kind of change. I've always been really interested. I don't really know too much about the Bolsheviks and the... You know, I watched Anastasia when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot about, isn't that like a lot about the worker class uprising? And Yes, actually. So um, that's just important to consider, I think, because I that is the um, general struggle we see throughout the story and the media inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Um, some... There is 
say that the time frame is both important and not important to the story. Um, it explains why Zaroff is even on the island. It's because he had to flee Russia and why he is such a snob. And that is because he grew up as an empowered son of a nobleman. Um, but certain critics argue that that isn't directly relevant to the hunt itself. I completely disagree with that. Um, I think it's 100% relevant. I think if I'd understood that when I was younger, I would have understood the motivations a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think generally the time frame for even the media inspired by all of this is important to the hunt, the hunts themselves, right. if you will. Yeah. What do you think about that? Um, you know, yeah, no, it's like I think I even brought it up earlier that like the time frame can can and is important, like especially like when he read the book, and then I'm thinking like even today it's coming up with the purge and and things like that, and mentioning that like when I read it back in school, I didn't really I a lot of a lot of people picked up on the you know. America versus Russia. Right. While, you know, kind of maybe back, it was even before World War II has started. And I'm sure people back then were thinking, oh, you know, America, Nazis versus the Nazis, you know, things like that. So time frame, I, when I look at just the word time frame, it, it brings back those thoughts. Yeah. Um, I totally get that. I will say, because there are people out there, I forget what they're called, but they study literature like at face value. Like they don't like research right. the author, the time period. They'll just read a text and like use the text itself to write about it. Right. Um, and I've never been one of those people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I always see the connections. Um, I think it, and I think you're right. Those connections make it more meaningful. So, sure. Um, that's our hot take. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so the most dangerous game offers a symbolic battle royale between two divergent centuries and the opposing worldviews and political constructs that dominated each respective era. Um, and so to kind of ex break that down a little bit. So what we have is the recently ended 19th century, which was in general a time of Eurocentrism, Eurocentrism, sorry, a time of kings, queens, czars, vast empires, colonies. And then we have the new century, the still fledgling 20th century, yep. um, which is giving rise to democracies, self-made men, men who aren't going to adhere to the crown. They're not bowing to anyone. Um, they don't defer to aristocratic classes. Um, and they're just kind of um, after their own individual, you know, goals, their own ambitions, they're not, you know, a slave to the king anymore, so to speak. Or I guess right. the slave isn't really the best way to put that because there were still slaves, but mm -hmm. uh, or still are. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a, there's so many. It's just I don't. It's obviously. It the most dangerous game didn't bring up this like um theme or I don't even want to say theme with it because it's not it's like X versus Y or you know it's always been something versus something and 
Um, I was thinking just like the lineage of like where you know we're talking about you know back then and then coming into today, just of these different ideological battles. I think that's where I'll put it. Like that's what I'll say about it is like one versus the other um, transcends and and what you were just saying. Uh, you know the kind of authoritarianism versus you know the more you know age of revolution, you know, um, democracy, um, you know, here. And then I just see that with so many, so many others. Like yeah. I think, um, communism, et cetera. Yeah. And so, wow, this goes really great with what you just said. And I kind of just thought about this after reading that. Um, so this story came out in 1924, the great Gatsby came out in 1925. And when I think about, you know, self-made men, men who are individual, like it's kind of hard not to think of Jay Gatsby and how he was well-traveled. Like you could, I think, make a significant comparison between him and Rainsford. Totally. Gatsby's a little more manipulative, a little more showy, but I think you see that. And then there's this kind of idea of, you know, old money in Great Gatsby too. And then that's kind of what we see with General Zaroff is like you, that old money sort of mindset. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. We could literally go for hours on that. I know. I'm not like all these different examples. I'm just so glad we met today to talk about this or I was going to keep thinking about it all. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yeah. So, um, like in the most dangerous game and other forms of media, you see these temporal and generational struggles because it's not just, you know, I th- I got the impression that Rainsford and Zaroff were probably around the same age. Roughly. I thought definitely Zaroff older. A little bit older. Yeah. But they've just grown up in such two different places that the timing and setting has kind of a- affected their worldviews and how they've grown and how they identify with the world um and that leads us to our next point because as we've already kind of talked about there is a dichotomy between them when it comes to their two contrasting views of the human race and its future yeah yeah especially it's funny i was just thinking like you know if i think maybe the environment even formed them into what they were obviously you know being from two separate lands uh but still had that string of like hunting being you know i don't know um i don't know with rainsford if it was if that was just a side thing he did or that's exactly what he did because i remember he him talking about like uh, zarov talking about um he praised Rainsford because he went hunted like jaguars or something into bed or something like that. Yeah, and Rainsford also wrote books like about it. So I think right. he's so that was his could, main dig. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny that they have these same they have these same um, you know interests, uh, but grew up in two separate you know environments. And uh, how funny uh, it is that these perspectives have gone askew um, when you compare them. Yeah, uh, I think that's a really good point. And then again, I think that kind of comes back. So um, at the time of the story setting, it was less than a decade after the Treaty of Versailles, which marked the end of World War One. At this point, Europe is still in shambles. Cities, economies and infrastructures were wrecked. Um, people and cultures were displaced. And um, 
And I mean, you see this, I think it's almost like this trauma, but like it's not like pinpointed in the story. And so you see like everything that this aristocrat, that General Zaroff, what he knew, what he loved, what he defended, what he understood to be true, all of it's just obliterated by this whirlwind of war, this revolution, and all of this change that sort of is like not a repercussion, but a consequence of the war. Um, and it's changed Europe and it's ravaged it as far as what General Zaroff knew. Like, it's how do you adapt to that when your whole world changes? You yeah. don't kill people, David. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. He tried to do it with hunting first. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> Lord. Um, Violence. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on that? It's a goofy No, joke. not really. Uh, it's kind of just, it's really echoing a lot. Of- yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that for me though, that it's weird because it kind of humanizes generals are off in a way I hadn't really thought about. Like, and I mean, these are characters in a story. You can hate anyone and whoever you want, but I think especially if they're fake. But it's interesting to think about how when you consider that he's gone through this trauma, it's like, what could, could we as a society have done differently to make him not feel like hunting people was the only answer (laughs) Um, yeah i don't know that that brings up a lot um and that's kind of this is interesting i think and i threw this in here because um the short story it was made into a film i believe originally in 1932 just a few years after it was published so that um one kind of like sticks to the original plot Mm -hmm. but then again it was filmed again after world war ii with General Zaroff as a Nazi. Oh. What do you oh. think about that? What do you think about applying, like, you know, that sort of um, metaphor, I guess? I know. It's like, I don't know. Like, it feels like it's kind of the, that painting, <laughs> they, like, stripped off that ideology and threw, you know, um, you know, what was it? I'm sure. Uh, fuck, I'm not finding the word. Uh, eugenics. Um, yeah. They slapped the eugenics ideology on there. And, like, um, yeah, that's kind of fucked. But, you know, it, like I said earlier, it's just, it's it's funny. We can to slap different ideologies on, on top. And it's funny that they did that so recently after. Um, it's not, it sounds like some producer was like, oh, hell yeah, we're taking advantage of this. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> so funny. But I think for, for me, and I don't really know if we, maybe you said this originally when we were talking about the summary of the story, mm-hmm. but so General Zaroff, he hunted animals and then he hunted men who would wash up on the shore, but they weren't, you know, skilled hunters. You get the idea that they were, um, you know from poor countries mm-hmm. that they were trying to get somewhere to make a better life or perhaps be slaves. I think he uses the phrase cast, cast offs, or cast offs. Like yes. I believe that is what he calls them. And so it's like that kind of one comes back to the purge series and that, um, you learn throughout the purge series that it's essentially the wealthy elites versus 
poor people, the working class, and the elites just want to wipe out the working class so they don't have to care for them anymore. Yeah, like in that movie, um, the first one at least, it's you know the it's centered around these like you know well off people who like have the money to have this like um like purge proofed house right um and then in the second movie it goes into like people who are not as well off and like they have to they, they only have you know the few deadbolts and exactly. it's like drilled into the wall they can like bust in at any time and shit like that so. hopes and prayers right <gasps> Um, (laughs) i mean but it's interesting when you think about it um and i I think that's also why i brought up snowpiercer as well because there's these class struggles that you see along with those with just the dichotomy struggle between zaroff and rainsford like it goes beyond that yeah, no. Um, and I, I guess I was just saying all that to say I could, I think it would be interesting. I haven't seen the version of this movie where um, General Zaroff is a Nazi, but I do think it'd be interesting, you know, because you would presume um, this Nazi's been hunting Jewish people and now a challenge for him is some, you know, soldier probably from America because it was probably made in America and was probably trying to do that nationalism thing. (laughs) Love it. Sorry if that movie doesn't actually do that. And if it's your favorite movie, that's my, (laughs) my bad. Yeah. Seriously. All right, David. So I was an English major, so we're going to put on our thinking caps here and think about some questions. Um, so who are what, Okay. <laughs> okay, I, I was trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was too preemptive in my in my hit. <laughs> oh, here Love we it. go. We've never done this before and I kind of forgot that we were going to do it, but here we go. So who or what is the most dangerous game? Um uh, what what kind of answer are you looking for? Are you looking for like There's uh, no right answer. There's no right answer. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Kevin. I love this. Um uh, you know, I think the most dangerous game is, you know, I brought up uh, f- fight, flight, or freeze earlier. Those who fight, obviously, you know. I think in the book, he even, Zaroff's like, I've killed, like, nobody's been able to best me, but this, like, last guy, like, shot me or something. I think it was, like, a low caliber pistol that he gave them or something. I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, um, no, I. I don't actually remember where I was going with that thought, but yeah, those people who put up a fight, it definitely like Rainsford put up a fucking fight. Um, so I guess I'd say that, but so you would know. say it's people. Um, yeah, yeah, I would definitely, uh, people have cognitive, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's hard to say because like, I'm just thinking of like animals and the way they think and how we think like, I don't know. Fucking, it could be like we could be fucking um, century away from computers asking. The <laughs> yeah, same David. About us. Robots are obviously the most dangerous <laughs> game. Yes, I know. That's <laughs> what's just scary, Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so. but uh, I really do think your original answer there is really interesting. Maybe to kind of put it all together, perhaps you would say the most dangerous game is a person who's first instinct is to fight yeah 
Yeah. You know, actually, when you say that, it makes me think I'm going to go back to robots here. <laughs> but I was reading this like article, like AI, like, don't get me wrong. I go down these like YouTube rabbit holes. Yeah. I'm scared the shit out of myself learning too much about AI. And I remember, I can't tell you who, can't tell you what, can't tell you where, but they like turned on a supercomputer for, they can only keep it on for a couple seconds and then like it just goes mad because it realizes like all this shit like pours through Ah. fucking history and shit and realizes that we're the problem and that's a theme through a lot of movies true um, that we're just not like i think uh, one movie that i really want to watch for the movie podcast is 2001 a space odyssey i've never seen um oh like apparently it's about this like computer who's like up in space who you know doesn't doesn't let this dude out for some reason. I've never seen it, so I can't say. But I, I remember watching this like Disney equivalent, um, like Mickey in this like brand new house, <laughs> and his his house doesn't want him to leave anymore. So Aww. yeah, just like tries to keep him in. I mean, that was really sweet, but then it tried to kill him too. So oh yeah, no, it's fucking crazy. But nonetheless, yeah, like I think I'm. I think I would just add a little bit to your answer, though. Like, so someone whose first instinct is to fight, but someone who is also um, wise, maybe. I I don't want to say intelligent because I don't think you necessarily need intelligence to be dangerous. Oh, definitely. Or the most dangerous even. But I do think that you have to have, like, cunning. Sure. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, Expand on that. So I think one of, I could be wrong. One of the points I took away from Connell's short story is that part of the reason Rainsford is successful in defeating Zaroff is because he has been influenced and utilized skills he's learned from other cultures. Yeah, And so it's kind of like a slap in the face to Zaroff who, you know, talks about how thoroughbred horses are, you know, more important or worth more than these people when in fact these people are the ones keeping Rainsford alive. Yeah. No, I I was just thinking of the, the traps, um, you know, thing that you were just talking about. I didn't want to interrupt, but yeah. Um, so we've kind of already answered this next question between Zaroff and the and Rainsford. Who is the more dangerous game? Right. Um, would you say? Yeah. Who I, would you say? Who out of the two? Um, I don't know. You just brought up the fact of um, I am, him using that intelligence that he he's or yeah. just that knowledge that he's brought from. Um, you know, the other cultures. Yeah, definitely Rainsford, in my opinion. I don't know. I said that. I Then I felt like we already answered it. But then now, now I don't know. Because now it's like you have to be cunning. But to be the most dangerous game, I think you also have to be evil. So I'm really starting to think Zaroff is the most dangerous game because... Actually, it's funny. Me too. I was thinking that, uh, like, when you were talking. Because, like, it's funny because, like, I'm thinking of... Ignorance. I'm thinking of the word ignorance. Oh, that's good. Ignorant people are very, very dangerous. That's why um, we talk about that in the Borat podcast. Yeah, ignorance Mm -hmm. is um, something that because I mean, when people get stuck in their ideology, like I'm, you know, don't want to call out any modern day parallels, but like, fuck, if does that not scare the fuck out of me? Yeah, going forward. Yeah, that's a really great point, and and like you could definitely. 
like that's the most dangerous game because that those people are the ones who are like most likely to spread their message like maliciously right yeah in the case of general zaroff i'm thinking that he is just set in his ways of that authoritarian um you know view that like just trying to be convinced because like even in that dinner scene he's like he's like he's proud that he is like you know hunting humans and shit like that he's very like this is what my next step was or whatever and he's just really like set in set in his ways in that matter and like uh you know that can be with any ideology like i think of you know just not me specifically i'm just thinking of older generations like how they're once they get to a certain point they're kind of set in their ways and like wide change or things like that i'm not saying i could take on an old person <laughs> but uh like just those ideologies are so like ingrained in you and yeah like you said we we go into it in the bar at pa- podcast um quite a lot because um yeah, I just start thinking. I think I I, I do want to change my answers. Yeah, to ignorance. That's um that's, that's a really good good one. I'm really glad that you said that and made that point because I think also like sometimes like the evil isn't just like or the most dangerous game isn't just one singular person or entity like the and to take it back to the purge, you see that like the true evil, the most dangerous game and the purge, it's not the people who are out in the streets, like the poor people who are, you know, getting food from stores or doing whatever, smashing up cars for fun because they're around. Like it's the National Federation of the Founding Fathers or whatever they're called, the NFFA, the people who implemented the purge who want to see this violence play out to take care of their problem. Right. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's why with the most dangerous game, I still have a lot of questions because it's like at this point, General Zaroff is like off on an island. Like what is his problem? You know, like poor people shouldn't be a problem. No, like we should take care of people and each other. But I'm like, that's not even a problem for General Zaroff. Like he's literally just like by himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that just add to that tax on exactly where we're talking about the ignorance. He's not like true. He's not exposed to those different views or whatever. Damn, good point. Yeah, a for the day, David. Love it. Well, we can ponder over this one too. Um, How about rather than simply concluding that Zaroff gets fed to the hounds and Rainsford gets a much needed good night's sleep? Let's step back and consider some of the larger questions raised by the ending. Um, for example, why does Rainsford say, I am still a beast at bay? Simply, um, is it simply that he has not yet fed Zaroff to the hounds? Or that he knows he is about to kill Zaroff, which will make him no better than Zaroff? I, I don't think any of those. I'm thinking of, like... I don't know. I was raised very conspiratorial and shit like that. And I'm thinking of like people when pushed to, I think they even pull it in with like the Batman, like the Joker specifically, like one bad day, like I can turn like into something like like a beast 
that's you know just waiting to be you know, uh-huh. released or something like that. I thought I thought of none of those. I'm thinking of that. Um, that's so, yeah. wow. That's really beautiful because that's like saying like we're all a beast at bay. Like yeah. any of us. One bad day, one bad interaction. That's even like in that recent Joker movie that came out. Yeah, that's a that's a theme of it. I love that movie. It's good. It's a good one. Yeah, and I, uh, I well, I don't love that movie, but I do think that that movie does a good job at showing what how society breaks when we don't take care of people mm-hmm. and each other. Right. Um, so I love that answer. We're going to keep going because I loved it so much and I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm going to come up with anything better. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. Um, so I think we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but by, by sleeping in Zaroff's bed at the end of the story is Rainsford becoming the next Zaroff. He could have slept in his own bed or even tried to leave. Um, yeah. Why does he, is he becoming the next Zaroff? Um, I don't know. Maybe it has that, that, um, inkling of, I want to take over this, that power hungry aspect to it. But then unconsciously, I think that it's setting up for what's coming next. Like, fuck, um, I'm not thinking of it, you know, an example right off the top of my head. I'm just, I'm falling back onto the, you know, America versus Nazis or, you know, that ideology, um, or, and then we get to the cold war and it's like capitalism versus communism. Um, and then like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a modern day example, but I'm not, let me quick on my let me try to ask you this instead. Okay. If you were Rainsford and you just killed General Zaroff, would you be able to sleep in his bed? Um <laughs> is, it, is the body right there? <laughs> no, you can have no, someone yeah, come and it take out. it out. Hey, he climbed in through the window. I could probably just toss out the window. Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I probably would. I just um I don't know. Like a fucking question. I don't know. Um, my first inkling, yes, is to, because it could be like, oh yeah, now there's that. Um, you know, try to stay humble, but Rainsford's like, oh now I'm the most dangerous game. He was the most dangerous game, and I took him out and shit like that. Um, like I'm the dominant, you know, ideology, so to speak, or whatever the fuck. Um, what about you? I feel like it's kind of hard for me to think about this question because, like, realistically, one, I could understand that, like, his adrenaline's pumping. So he's probably like, oh, yes, I won the game. I killed him. And, you know, he's been out in the woods for three nights. Like, I'm sure the guy's exhausted. So there's, like, realistic Shannon who's like, yeah, like, just lay down in the closest thing to you and go to sleep. But then I'm like... I don't know that I guess idealist in me is like, why is he staying there? Like, why isn't he just leaving? Leaving. Like, I would want to say that I would leave if I was realistically in that situation. I would probably need a nap as well. That was just, <laughs> that was just the closest bed. <laughs> but I just like the idealist in me wants him to just leave and get out of there. And the fact that he stays um, could. Do you think it's telling? 
potentially be telling. Yeah, I think it's when you think about how, again, to go back to Gatsby, when you think about how comfortable he was with Daisy and that old money and those habits that you can just fall into and that looks so appealing, it's easier than having to be an individual and be a self-made man. Hmm, Interesting. I'm thinking, doesn't in the book... Uh, he injured Ivan Rainsford injures Ivan with like some type of knife contraption. Am I thinking of that right? Like I'm thinking like would Ivan this deaf mute um, bear? I think he oh, right. he mentions him as like some he worked for some czar that was really brutal yeah. or whatever. But and like you think like he would like I don't know take to Rainsford if he had took that over. This is what I'm thinking. I mean, I feel like people who are complicit just need someone to be complicit to and they're happy. Yes. Oh, I'm glad you said that because I'm thinking of like people will, you know, follow whoever's in power or whatever, yeah. like, you know, changing tides of just like revolutions and shit like that. I, I love thinking about the age of revolution and how that idea spread. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a great point to say too because that is another very much overarching theme is this. Um, dynamic of power and power relationships and how you know those play out and you know we just kind of talked about it with the great Gatsby with old money and new money there's power with where you're from what you look like there's elements of power mm-hmm. and it's there's reading books that the, there's your access to books you know all of those are privileges and elements of power And I think, you know, you also see those um, issues with power and authority play out in a lot of the media, like obviously with the surviving the game, you could hear that with Ice-T being a houseless person. Mm -hmm. Um, The Purge, you especially see that in the second one where you're following the people on the streets, but you also get a good idea in the first Purge movie of what that sort of wealth, you know... (sighs) brings brings yeah and it's you know it's like that grass is greener thing but yeah it's an out of sight out of mind thing too and in the first movie because the example that is still gonna come get you yeah because yeah, they leave some door thing on. No, no it's no, like no, a no. child a opens child it yeah like they're about to <sighs> slit somebody's throat outside and they're like some woman opens it or child opens the door yeah well and what i was gonna ask you do you like the first one or do you like the second one better the purge movies yeah um i i actually like uh brennan our friend bren we have another friend bren mm-hmm. um and i were just talking about these so i went back and rewatched them my favorite's actually i believe the third one the purge election year so i've not seen that one it's, it's a, a pretty good one. good one um but what i kind of want to circle back to is um the purge series which is also really good at expanding on some of the major themes and concepts like the tiny details you wish were in movies and the snowpiercer tv show is also really good at this um watching the sort of things society creates that just kind of perpetuate power imbalances so in the purge series and the first purge movie does a good job of this as well is you see that elites aren't just people who are in literal positions of power like government workers or the people who are protected Mm -hmm. people who 
are in positions of power are people who are the insurance companies and the creators of the devices that the wealthy people are using to protect their homes. Right. Right. Um, and so the Purge series is actually super great. The uh, It's only two seasons, and I'm pretty sure it's done. The series finale of um, the second season of The Purge, Ethan Hawke actually... Um, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he has a brief role where he's talking about how he sells this protective house equipment or whatever to lock you up, keep you safe during the purge. And it's just such a funny callback to the first movie where you're like, oh, these rich white people are being attacked. Like, here we go again, Strangers 2.0 or whatever. But that's like, if you watch the first purge as a satirical movie, it's fucking hilarious. And it's brilliant yeah <laughs> like, fuck these white people <laughs> uh yeah no uh, i think that's very inherent that was inherent from the fucking inception of the purge series or the, that first purge movie or whatever but i'm i'm really glad you brought up ivan who's basically like zaroff's henchman i'm not sure if we said that yeah. um because he's kind of that role there's not really a lot of other characters but ivan is sort of that complicit Blind character following. Yeah. Doing just what he stole, following the rules that were told to him and Sheeple. Sheeple, I mean same in Nazi Germany, right? I mean, it's it's Boom. what do you do if you're in that situation? And I mean, I think that's probably why a lot of people didn't like the first purge movie, because it's like, this is what rich people do and you're like okay great but what do i do and so that's probably (laughs) that first movie came out i remember i think maybe they even did it because of the fervor they were like whoa we want to see what happens in the streets yeah you know yeah yeah that was definitely a driving factor why i wanted to go see the next one yeah and you know i will say um i i do probably like the second one better than the first one um but that's hard. I like them both a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I think the contrast in those two movies are very good kind of contrast between Rainsford and Zaroff. Um, or Zaroff and Rainsford, if you consider the Perch one and then the Perch two. Mm-hmm. Rainsford could definitely be that guy who like leads all those people out. Right, right. You know, that's almost interesting to think about. I guess Whitney drowns or whatever, but it'd be interesting to read like a most dangerous game where the characters like having to protect you know people kind of like a lost situation or something or there's like just a change of the book a bit have rather because it it insinuates that like when the people get there they are sequentially right um you know picked off or right he gets he gets a person they go he kills them and then the next person yeah and he like stores them but it's it's funny to think about like what if there was um you know i don't know a fucking lineup in the basement or something you know well there he Uh, does store them in like a basement but like you said he like lets them one at a time or whatever they're not all out there more than two people two more of the hunted yeah in the story i I guess that's i guess that's what i got that was yeah my understanding as well but it'd be interesting if there were like people having to take care of each other like what would you do in that situation kind of a thing you know right i feel like there's a little scary that's a little scary to think about like that's just another idea to tack on there is just the the many versus the few Yeah. yeah yeah 
So. Good point. The many versus the few. Thank you for summing that up for me. Um, so, I mean, that kind of wraps up like the bulk of the discussion uh, that I had about the most dangerous game before we kind of move on to some fun facts in our conspiracy corner. Did you have anything you want to add? Uh, no, not really. Um, I love this. I love this book. I love the, um, the themes that it brings along with it. Um, and I've always had a very soft spot for, I think this is a perfect example of where we can go into Red Eric. Uh, yeah. A lot. This is just a, a prime. And it's funny because it's a short story and we can fucking, so many tendrils. I think I've used that phrase before. So many tendrils off of that. We can go, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I think we did a good job keeping it toned down. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, we did. I'm glad because I feel like this is a nice companion piece to the book. Definitely go read the book. If you yeah, for it, sure. Or even listen to the audiobook like I did while delivering. Yeah, I'm sure it's free on YouTube and oh, there's going to be a link in our show notes. So, so. check that out. Um, so with that. Some fun facts, or at least a fun fact that I found on the Most Dangerous Game Wikipedia page. Classic. <laughs> Love Wikipedia. <laughs> was that um, paintball was inspired by the Most Dangerous Game. And then there's a description of paintball, which I'll read. <laughs> paintball allows participants to experience the thrill of hunting large game without the danger. <laughs> so yeah so uh this just says one is simultaneously hunted down um while they're hunting so it's a situation like a modern day rainsford and zaroff i'm not really sure like how paintball was inspired by the most dangerous that, game yeah, that's, and not just like shooting bb guns because bb guns <laughs> that's not that's not right you haven't shot BB guns? No, I've shot BB guns. Before, At a person? No, you I don't Oh think my you're god. My to. cousins and I, like, we used to. Like, Brutal. <laughs> we used to go up, David, wait. We used to go up into, like, this attic and we'd turn the lights off and shoot BB guns at each other. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm giving you the same look I, you gave me whenever I was talking about the fire <laughs> that I started when I was a child. <laughs> That's wild. Um, oh, but geez. anyways, I was like kind of shocked to learn that uh, paintball was based off that and not just kids shooting at each other with BB guns. <laughs> Classic. Have you ever been paintballing before? I actually haven't. It is interesting. It hurts, obviously. Oh, yeah. But, um. It, does it hurt more than a bb gun? <laughs> probably not really BB, bb guns i can only assume just fucking hurt like a bitch i don't know it's, like, it's like a sting well okay yeah that's what i figure but like i mean that's the same as you know i feel like gun. i see people they've played paintball and they have like huge bruises on them so it depends on how much psi you put into oh uh, like, that's what's in tires because it yeah, yeah, Shannon. Yes, it is. I need to go air mine up. Actually, I'm one of my tires up. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> no, I remember playing uh, back when I was in I don't know early high school. I remember going with my uncle over to like somewhere in Keller Ooh. near the uh, the NASCAR Raceway. Oh Texas yeah, totally. And it was like fucking acre. It was like a like multiple day track. Ooh. And I was like, oh my gosh, this was like. Super crazy. I remember uh, I'll bring up one little 
interaction I had. We were like trying to, there was this pond, pretty big pond. Yeah. Um, but it had a bridge. It had like, you know, it would feed into a river, but it had a bridge across the widest part of it. And this dude who was way too into it fucking got a boat and put like a machine gun on like paintball on the front of it and like was like, People for I don't remember exact situation, but like had to run across this bridge, and he was just like lined up, and I was one of those people that had to run across. And it was awful. Oh my god! I got really dehydrated at that. Oh lord! But then I I I had like one of those like camel packs, you know. Nice. I I love those. And then I ate some bomb ass water burger after I rehydrated. So it was nice. (laughs) That was a very Texas story there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. So conspiracy corner love it anyways sorry um so we have um so we've been talking about like media that this related to yes but the creepiest parallel of all might be the real life case of robert hansen in the 1980s hansen kidnapped women and released them into an alaskan valley where he hunted them to death. Coincidence? So <laughs> Hansen would abduct um, the women and take them to remote places outside the city. Sometimes he would drive and other times he would fly his private plane. A licensed pilot, Mr. Hansen told investigators that one of his favorite spots to take his victims was the Nick River northeast of Anchorage. Investigators have said that in some instances, Hansen would rape the women but return them to Anchorage, warning them not to contact the authorities. Other times, he would let the women go free in the wilderness and then hunt them with his rifle. Oh my god! That they that's um. There's a whenever I was looking into like uh, adaptations of the most dangerous game all throughout. There were so many. Sweet Jesus! Uh, but this is this is a movie too. But I don't think it's with women i think it's with um john cusack is the oh um, you were saying that john cusack is the um person who's hunting he's the hunter yes um and the necklace cage is the hunted oh yeah i don't remember what it, what it is off the top of my head but i'll definitely look into it and let the yeah i think know. i i read about that movie but i don't remember what it's called and, uh, you know i don't want to stray too long because we're you know kind of wrapping up but uh, i think that even the Zodiac Killer is mentioned um, somewhere in there. I, I'd have to look into it, like a parallel uh, to Zodiac Killer. And- that's interesting. Like, if you compare the Zodiac Killer to General Zaroff, that's really interesting to think about. I have actually been meaning to look more into the Zodiac Killer lately. I'm not really familiar with, like, his history. Maybe we should do an episode on that. Yeah, that'd be cool. But I'd be interested to know if he, like, came from money or not and, like... That we sort of know. like capitalism mindset is there or not, you know? I don't think they know who the Zodiac Killer is, so it's kind of hard to. Uh, yeah. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, no, I I hear this is straight from the Wikipedia part article. Please forgive me, audience. Uh, I'll find the link and I'll put it in the notes. But it says that there's a possible reference to the most dangerous game in letters uh, that the Zodiac Killer wrote to the newspapers in the San Francisco Bay Area in his three-part three part cipher, which is a really like, I, I think about that every time. I'm like, man, fucking, some people can't even fucking break the ciphers that the Zodiac Killer made. Can you? 
like apparently the no obviously not <laughs> well don't say it like that no no like, but it's like impressive how like oh, i think yeah. they just one person just figured out how to do the most oh, recent wow. but there's still like five or six more or something oh my god i don't know um but it says uh quote man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill unquote though he may have come up with the idea independently um the film version of the most dangerous game um is mentioned a number of times in the 2007 movie zodiac have you ever you ever seen that one i think that one, like, I, in that one i feel like i saw it a long time ago but i've actually i've really been meaning to rewatch it recently jake gyllenhaal Mark and Ruffalo. robert Downey jr right oh yeah mm-hmm RDJ, we know. love you more than Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, oh my gosh, you hate Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, he didn't go to Taylor Swift's birthday party. Oh my god, how lame of Jake Gyllenhaal! I don't think he I was would her either. boyfriend. Oh shit! Okay, that makes it even more worse. <laughs> JT hates my roommate. He hates Jake Gyllenhaal. We just talked about that last night. JT hates Jake Gyllenhaal too. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Oh my god, bonding. <laughs> I love Jake it. Gyllenhaal and Mel Gibson. Oh yeah, I, I, we we talked about Mel Gibson quite quite a lot. Oh Lord, the other day. All right, David, do we want to talk about our takeaways? Um, Yeah, Shannon, I'm going to let you go first. Awesome, because you just said something that really um, struck me when you read um, about what was that quote from the Zodiac Killer? Most something like human, animal. It says, quote, man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill, unquote. Man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill. That's so interesting to me. Um. Y'all know that I say a way of seeing is also a way of not seeing. That comes from a rhetorician, Kenneth Burke. Um, and that particular line comes from Permanence and Change, one of his uh, earlier works. And I believe it's in that same work where he talks about that humans are are symbol using and misusing animals. Mm. And... So when you think about signs and symbols, um, you know, there's not really any limitations to that. Um, and so it's interesting for me to think about how all of us, you know, that word animals sounds so um, undomesticated, but, you know, we all kind of could be if we wanted to. And um, where I'm going with this as well is, um, so we all know I love The Purge. And the second season of The Purge series, one of the characters describes The Purge as being a virus for violence. And so that's how he describes The Purge. But I think at the end of the day, it's these people who are cunning and evil and have an instinct to fight that are the virus of violence. And what I mean by that is not necessarily survivors or people who have been, are being attacked or whatever, um, or who have overcome a danger. But what I mean is like the sort of hidden dangerous games that, you know, in America we have insurance companies in America we have, um, I mean, you name it. We have the education system. We have... Um, Fuck, that's a parallel. Sweet Jesus, I didn't even think of education. Yeah, I mean, we have 
you know, and, and just all of these things are divided by class too, right? And they are um, gerrymandered within our states mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you have to learn and adapt to live where you are and you have to do what you can. And so I think it's having that empathy for understanding where people are coming from that keeps us from perpetuating violence. And it's when you lose that, when it's that ignorance that you've been talking about throughout this episode, when you're stuck in that ignorance, that is when you become the most dangerous game. Yeah. I love that point that I made earlier because it was, it was on the spot. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I guess in a way um, that kind of brings in my um, takeaway, I, I guess, you know, I have been talking a lot about throughout this whole episode about the ideological battles that happened between, you know, in this book in particular, it's Rainsford versus, you know, Zaroff, but we can stretch it to, you know, in Richard McConnell's era, the the Bolsheviks versus, you know, the, whatever came after that, you know, less authoritarianism into right. you know democracy or whatever. You know, I like I said, I'm I'm less educated on that on that. But then we get to World War Two and we get, you know, um, you know, the American ideologies versus Nazi ideologies, or even I can dig a little deeper into that, like, you know, isolationism versus nationalism. Right. Um, and then we continue, you know you know, into the future. There's just so many different, I guess my takeaway is that these ideological battles, I don't know if they're subconsciously kind of clashing. Like we're not aware of the, I mean, definitely during the cold war, it was definitely apparent. And I think of all these like proxy wars that we did and um, things like that. But it's funny that these, that we can kind of, they feel like stickers that you can just fucking pull off and, you know, slap another one on. And like, if we're, you know, in the case of the cold, the, you know, um, the Nazis and then, um, the cold, you know, the Russians afterwards, like we just peeled off the Nazi sticker and slapped communism on the earth yeah. and Russia on there. So, and we're even living in fucking cold war 2.0 today. Um, even with like, you know, I'm thinking of China and Russia, for example, or, or even Korea, you know, I'm just thinking of uh, this, There's these cycles. different battles that we, I mean, I'm, I'm getting like political with that side of it. Definitely from a higher point of view, but, um, you know, it could be with anything. It could be, um, I don't know. Even. CEOs or yeah. banks or. There's so many, di- like I said, there's just so many, so many different, like we can just throw two different things. Amazon, which is also bad for the environment. Yeah. But yeah. you have to use it if you're going to like afford things. Boom, if you're poor. Okay. I was thinking uh, ignorance. Like, uh, you know, I think it was this week that the like underwater gas fire in Mexico. Oh, yeah. And, and, and like I'm thinking of climate change and like these people who there are ignorant about climate change and are stuck in their ways about that and then what it proceeds to and that's just, you know, I thought of that right off the fly. But yeah, nonetheless, um, I think of those, that ecocentrism that we were. Um, yeah, about exactly. It's, it's just, it's funny how many different things we can brush over, or put on the tack on or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's just funny to think, I guess, be, be aware that you're not the one who 
ends up sleeping in Zara's bed. Ooh. Real quick, before you wrap up, have you ever read The Lottery by Shirley Jackson? No. We're going to do that soon. Yeah. What's um, that one about? Is about, well, let me just tell y'all. It's about this town. And every year they have a lottery. And so the whole town has to show up for the lottery. They don't really say what happens if you don't show up for the lottery, but they imply that it's bad. Mm -hmm. I think like the town will be destroyed or something. So everyone has to show up to the lottery. Mm -hmm. And then you draw a number. And if your number's chosen, the town stones you to death. And you're like the sacrifice for the town to keep going. Damn. And the whole gist of it is like, if you're stuck in tradition, you never grow out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. We've made a lot of good, like, not, I don't want to say arguments, but definitely cases for certain, yeah. for certain viewpoints and things like that. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important because I, I heard this quote once, um, always shoot for an A minus because it means you're still challenging authority. so it's i've always loved that because it's always that sort of kind of motivated me and helped my sort of perfectionist tendencies because it's also like shoot for a minus so what if i put a comma here i wanted it there right yeah exactly Um, i needed a pause right there but it's like challenge the man but do it in a way to where you know, it doesn't have to be anarchy. It doesn't have to be capitalism. It doesn't even have to be political, I don't think. Yeah. But just challenge the man in a way that challenges yourself. And like you said, don't end up in General Zarov's bed. Yeah, yeah. I gave myself goosebumps whenever I said that. Let sleeping dogs lie. Oh, right. <laughs> in the beast of day, sweet Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I fucking love it. Well, cool. Shannon, if we don't have anything else, you want to go ahead and wrap up? Heck yeah. So as we wrap up, I want to remind everyone to uh, join our Facebook page, our Instagram page, um, and also uh, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WDM1. Um, you know, with all of those, I, I believe it's into the into the zeitgeist uh, for the social media. So please check it out. Woohoo. Shannon. Well, on that note, let's get out of here. Uh, well, oh, wait, wait. I always do this. I always do this. We we always try to give a preview yeah. of the next episode. And so I was going to ask, what are we, what are you thinking about next week? Actually, before you answer, what do you think about having the audience choose? You know, I know we're a little uh, far behind, like we record in advance, but I think putting out there, like uh, we're supposed to do, what is it? Dare or uh, the chicks, Dixie chicks. Oh yeah, we um, could do. Maybe either put one. a poll on uh, Instagram, Facebook. See which Heck one yeah. we want to do Love first. Love that. So yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll I'll put up a, a post here cool. next week or so about which one we're gonna do. Um, the chicks, Dixie chicks. It's funny. We didn't really say how we were doing like hellos and highs at the beginning. <laughs> I was gonna say I went and got like a. a triple shot coffee from starbucks and was listening to the dixie chicks uh, i was like jam- i am so excited for that episode i'm oh like gosh, David. <laughs> so pick the dixie chicks <laughs> or the chicks my bad <laughs> you really are kelly and i really uh, <laughs> that couldn't be more true <laughs> i love it all right cool well if Let's 
Nothing else. Oh, love I was like, how do I end this now? <laughs> like, I love the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let's see. What uh, should we say? I feel safe. I feel safe in our... I, I love today's episode, uh, but I'm excited for what's next. Yeah, me too. Dare the chicks, but I've got to go run away from General Zaroff's hound. <laughs> <laughs> the Amanda Show Classic. All right. See you next time. See ya. Bye-bye. the zeitgeist is a bi-weekly podcast recorded in the dfw austin and san antonio areas in the state of texas the podcast is hosted produced and edited by me david lonnie waters my co-host and researcher for the show is shannon boffman all of waters media shows are funded by you over on patreon at patreon.com slash wdm1 the following names are at the highest tier of the producer level, and I am humbled. Thanks, Hughes. Sharon.